The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, I got to be honest, that's my favorite video we've done so far. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's my, my wife, Laura, and uh, and. I asked her what her, her favorite chapter was. Uh, asked her, I said, it's for a series we're doing. And so she told me, and two days later, she's at, at work and she never calls from work. And so she called me from work and she said, hey, when, when you asked me my favorite chapter, you didn't tell me TJ was gonna video me. And I said, I didn't tell anybody. Y'all would have all said no. But what we've done for this series we're in the middle of is we asked staff and spouses and elders and their their wives, what, uh, what's your favorite chapter of the Bible? And we looked at those, Tim and Dave and I got together and looked and, and looked at some that we would walk through this summer. And so today we're gonna walk through Psalm 25 and I'll tell you kind of where we're gonna land is where Laura mentioned verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so I love that last song that we sang. Mark Rojas wrote that song several months ago and brought it to, to me. And we're going to sing it a lot this fall as we go through First Peter where we're told to be holy as God is holy. But I love that. May the steadfast love of the Father make us holy. And so when I look at Psalm 25, I'm really excited for God to teach us his ways this morning. Psalm 25 is a song of lament. It's a song of individual lament that kind of at the end has a nod to community. But today we will see God is deliverer, God is wisdom, God is forgiver, and God is saver of the psalmist, this individual who's crying out next week in Exodus 12, we will see God is deliverer, God is saver. God is wisdom, God is forgiver of the community of God's people. Let's read the first 10 verses of Psalm 25 this morning. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Well, that's a, a great verse. Love that statement. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. But just as we read it, there's a problem because we don't. We'll talk about this more as we go on. We don't keep his covenant. We don't keep his testimonies. 
But here's the reality we're gonna see that David didn't see just yet. We are in Christ. He is the covenant keeper. He kept God's testimonies, tempted in every way as you and I are, yet without sin. And so in Christ, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for us. Well, David begins this psalm and we will begin in this confession of reliance on God. And here's what we're gonna see. In the first about seven verses, we see David's reliance on God. And in verses eight through 15, we'll see that he's resting in God or trusting in God. In verses 15 through 20, 21, he makes some requests of God. He begins by saying, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To the one true God, David is crying out. To the Lord, Dave Tate was talking to me about this verse this week. Every Wednesday, our staff meeting starts by us walking together through the text that that I or Dave or Tim or another is gonna teach. And so this week we walked through it and Dave said, I taught this to high school years ago. Let me share something with you. And one of the things that he shared was this quote from John Piper. It says, the Christ of the Bible is an authoritative advisor as well as an atoning savior. David's not crying out to one of the gods of the Babylonians or another pagan god. So if we try to receive him, Piper says, as atoning savior and reject him as an authoritative advisor, all we receive is an imaginary Christ while rejecting the Christ of the Bible. Dave Tate, he followed this up with this. Basically, what he's saying is we want his forgiveness, but not his guidance. We don't allow him to actually influence our decisions. J.I. Packer talked about this in one of the opening chapters of his great book, now 50 years old, Knowing God. And basically he says, we don't make a graven image or a molten image, but we make a, a mental image. When we say, I won't serve a God who's like fill in the blank. Or I've always thought of God like this, but it doesn't match the scripture. What we're doing is not worshiping the God of the Bible, we're worshiping an idol. That's not what David does. That's not who he's praying to. He wants deliverance, but he wants direction as well. He's asking God to save him from his enemies, but he's also asking God to save him from himself. He wants God to hear him and he wants God to speak to him and so he asked for deliverance, wisdom, salvation, and forgiveness. He asked for deliverance from his enemies. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. What a great beginning to this prayer. To you I lift up my soul and in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. See, David's gonna ask God to remember him. He's gonna ask God for mercy because he knows He needs it. We all need it. We all deserve, because of our sin, to be put to shame, separated from God. And David, whose sins are many, says, let me not be put to shame. What are the enemies and the shame you need deliverance from? For all of us, it's the world, it's the flesh, it's the devil, but But what are the enemies? Is it guilt over past sins that you don't trust God to forgive you for? Is it something you're wrestling with now that you don't trust God to walk with you through? What are the enemies that would keep you? See, David doesn't just ask for deliverance, though he asks for wisdom. Verse four, make me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. He wants to walk the right way, and he knows those are the paths of God, and he needs wisdom to walk the right way. It's such a big deal. 
to walk this narrow path that God calls all who would enter life to walk down. Well, here's a, a guy who walked the right way or ran the right way, if you will. His name is Mike Del Cavo, and you've never heard of him or his university. He was at Western State University. Somebody told me in the 930 hour, it either no longer exists or it's been renamed. Anyone here graduate from Western State University? No, you did not. Mike Del Cavo at Western State University in the late 90s, as you can tell by those awfully short shorts, he was a cross-country runner. And he was a cross-country runner who was good enough to make the NCAA championship, but he was not good enough to win. It was like the Jamaican bobsled team just getting there was the victory, right? Well, Mike Del Cavo lines up on what was a cold morning for the NCAA championships and he's ready to run the cross-country race, which we know is 3.1 miles. We're Americans, it's not five kilometers, right? Especially not on Independence Day weekend. And so he's gonna run this race, but he's not gonna win. And the race begins and, and he's not in the lead pack. He can't keep up with them, but he's kind of at the beginning of the middle pack. And about a mile into the race, the lead pack veers off course and they all veer off course. They go the wrong way. And all of a sudden, Mike Del Cavo is leading the NCAA championship for cross country. He's running the right way and there are people behind them, but nobody's gonna catch him. He's gonna make it and he's gonna win the NCAA championship and he gets about 500 yards from the finish line and that whole lead pack cuts right in front of him and they cross the finish line first but they had run the wrong way. Mike Del Cavo had run the course and he had run the course rightly. And he had rightfully won the NCAA championship, but the NCAA said, well, because so many people ran off course, we're just gonna give the race to the people who crossed the finish line first, even though they cheated. Now, Mike Del Cavo could have protested. He didn't, he understood it was a genuine mistake, but the judges were asked, well, how can you let these people win? And they, they said, well, it was just a misperception of direction. Listen, nobody's gonna stand before God, holy God, with all of our sins and go, oh, no, God, surely it was a misperception of direction, right? When I rebelled against you, the living God, See, we want God to teach us his past so that we can walk in, in them because there's only one right way. Well, there, there are ways that churches talk about how they walk in his paths. And there are great ways that churches talk about walking in his paths. And for us, what we have said for 50 years now is that we are gonna make disciples for the glory of God. That's who we are as Temple Bible Church. For, for about the last 12 years, we've talked about how we make disciples for the glory of God. And there are three words that we've used for these overarching ideas. And those words are surrender and community and mission. That's how we're gonna walk in God's ways. We surrender to Jesus. We live in authentic biblical community. And then we live sacrificial lives on mission. We surrender to Jesus. We confess he's Lord. So what that means is that necessarily we come under his authority. And so we come under the authority of the Holy Bible as the word of God. In a world, in a society that would scrutinize scripture, we wanna come to scripture with a humility 
that would invite the spirit of God to scrutinize, correct, and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ so that we are surrendered to Jesus, walking in his will. But we don't surrender alone. Surrender happens in the context of community, so we wanna live an authentic biblical community. Coming under the word together, we, we end up seeing some things. First, we end up seeing what sort of sinners we are, right? And then we end up seeing what sort of sinners the people around us are. Isn't that fun? And then we learn to love and to forgive one another. We learn to bear with and encourage one another. We learn, as Paul says, to serve one another in love and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now, there are a variety of ways church, uh, a church can accomplish the task of helping people to grow together in community. The main vessel through which we do that at TBC is through home groups. There are other ways of community, but the main way we do that is through home groups. When I came to this church, not on staff as a new person to Central Texas, our, our former pastor, Gary, when I asked him, how do you get plugged in at TBC? He said, get into a home group, and we have. We have, we've taken two semesters off. I've got to tell you, I've got to make a confession why I've, I've taken semesters off when we've taken those semesters off is because I have a plan for multiplying small groups when I lead one. And the plan that I have for multiplying the group is to just stop leading it. You, I'll ask guys, hey, would you consider leading this group? And they always go, no, but I realize if I quit, somebody will step up. So about 11 years ago, we were gonna adopt a baby and we used uh, adopting a baby as an excuse to take a break from small group. I'd ask these guys, they might be in here, sorry if you guys are just knowing this, I'm sure I haven't told you. But we just said, hey, we're adopting a baby, we need a break. And two guys stepped up and led the group and started running with the group and they faithfully led it. Well, there were two or three other guys, really four or five in, in the last group we were part of. And and last December, I said to these two guys, hey, because of the position I'm in, new role at TBC, we need a break from a group. Will you guys lead it? And they jumped in and ran. And now, eight months later, they might be knowing that for the first time, right? But they're doing an amazing job leading the group. And a couple of weeks ago, a young couple at TBC came to us and said, hey, we'd really love to do a small group for parents of really young children. Would you guys be interested in that? And we just need community, whether it's been mobilizing college students who've launched out to mission or whether it's been with peers who are growing in Christ with us, authentic biblical community is the lifeblood of TBC. If you're not in a home group, I'll tell you, it will bless you, it will encourage you, you'll encourage others. You need to be in a group and groups need you. We surrender to Jesus, we live in authentic biblical community and then we live on sacrificial mission together because community is not an end of itself. We're a community on mission. First Peter 2 says that we, de we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us to be a people who declare his praise. So we are on mission together. That happens through local outreach. It happens through global outreach. It's why we preach the word. It's why we pray for missionaries. It's why we speak truth about Jesus in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes. It's why we do impact. It's why we support foster love and hope pregnancy center. It's why we do backpack buddies. It's why we pray regularly and give generously so that God's people could be on mission together. It always has been the truth for TBC. I want to tell you a couple of ways that I have loved in the last week seeing TBC on mission together. One was in a slide you saw last week as we prayed, and, and then I'll show you some other slides. You saw a slide last week that TJ 
Greeson and his wife, Abby, TJ is kind of the mastermind behind what happens on Sunday morning, making sure all technology works and all that good stuff. His wife, Abby, does the welcome sometime. TJ and Abby were going to visit Alex and Sarah Miller and their baby Malachi in Germany. Well, 10 years ago, Brandon Brewer and I were connecting with this young college student named TJ who was just one of the strangest guys in the world. Here's who he was 10 years ago. When, when Lord of the Rings movies would come out, he would go to those movies dressed as Gandalf, like full robe, right? You should laugh at that. How in the world did that guy get a wife? But he did, right? And they're amazing together, though. They've grown in Christ together. Well, TJ had a friend named Alex. Alex is a short guy, bad mustache. He's still got the bad mustache, right? But he was like a chihuahua who drank too much Red Bull. Just go get it, go get it, go get it. And early in their college time at UMHB, they got a vision to use sports to reach children who weren't being reached. And so they went to a housing complex in Northeast Temple called Wayman Manor. And they thought, man, here's a great place to be positive influence on young boys and girls. And they started a ministry as college students called A Call to Play, where through basketball, they began to share the gospel with students once a week at Wayman Manor. That ministry continues to this day because they passed it on to others and passed it on to others. And now TJ, not dressed as Gandalf anymore, makes sure that people who are viewing online and all of you get to hear the truth about Jesus every week. His, his wife, Abby, mobilizes college students during the week, welcomes you on Sunday. And then Alex, he's still got that bad mustache, but he's a father. He's a husband. He and his wife are sharing the gospel with the people of Germany, sharing their life with the people of Germany. Because TBC exists as a surrendered people on mission from generation to generation to generation. Another example that, that I thought about this week is through a young lady who grew up in this church who's, she and her husband are, are going to take the gospel to the least reached in Thailand. Her name's Caroline. Caroline Mixon grew up as the daughter of Beth and Tim Mixon. Now this picture's old. Beth looks the same. Tim has a little bit more gray, Right? And Tim and Beth had Caroline, and she grew up going to impact clubs and as part of Temple Bible Church. Uh, she came to our, our house one day and broke her collarbone, but we don't want to spend a lot of time there. But then she didn't just go to clubs like children do as they grow at TBC. She became one of those leaders of impact clubs. She got trained with her team and shared the gospel with students, and then God began to stir in her heart this desire to make Jesus known among the nations. So she and her dad, Tim, took one of our perspectives classes. They went to Ukraine to minister to our churches in Ukraine where her parents, went right out of college, had ministered as well. And now, just a few years later, Caroline is married to RJ and they're going to Thailand with crew to share the gospel. See, surrender gets into community and community goes on mission. And so a team of people from this body and other places will be praying for the Garzas as they go to Thailand. We'll be giving to support the Garzas as they go to Thailand. 20% of everything you give to General Fund helps go to missions because we're a surrendered people on missions. It, it's what we do because we wanna walk in the paths of God. Make me know your paths, O Lord. Teach me your ways. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you're the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all day long. 
the one true God. We'll wait for him all day long. And when we do, it turns into this beautiful surrendered community on mission. But what happens when we don't? What happens when we don't? I asked my wife after she shot this video, why do we not wait on him all the day long? What do we substitute in our waiting? And Laura, she said, I think we don't wait because we don't want this methodical plotting through seasons of suffering. We don't wanna wait for the lessons that God will teach us through suffering. David, he's escaping from Saul. He's living in caves. He's been anointed king, but people are threatening his life. And through seasons of suffering, he learned to walk in the paths of God. Laura went on to say, God would call us to be faithful on the most mundane of days. Waiting is hard because it's silent. It's not passive, it's not inactive, but it's silent and nobody sees or knows our waiting. Instagram can't see your heart position before the Lord when you're suffering. So instead of waiting, many times we work to manufacture our own good or our own ease. We, we kind of seek to be the gods of our own salvation. We seek to produce our own good or relief to distract us from the waiting. If God won't act on our timeline, we'll make it happen ourselves. We need relief, we need satisfaction. We'll look to porn or we'll look to hunting or we'll look to shoes or we'll look to shopping or we'll look to sports or we'll look to alcohol or we'll look to a pill. Someone that I love dearly has struggled with addiction for about the last 45 years. And about 10 years ago, I was where this person lives and and they had a problem because they had been given a 30-day supply of medicine and they had taken it in six days. And they couldn't get any more medicine. Some of you know someone who struggles with addiction. Some of you have struggled with it. You know the pain that they were in. Real difficult spot. And we had been there before. And so as we're talking, I just said to this family member that I dearly love, you, you gotta understand the pills aren't working or you wouldn't have to take another one every two hours. And he said, but Chase, they work for two hours. And then he just broke down and wept because he understood his problem wasn't physical pain, it was a broken heart. What are the ways, what is your pill that you seek to ease your pain? How do we substitute, make me know your ways, teach me your paths, for, for you I'll wait all the day long. You're the God of my salvation, but I have an hour on Sunday. You're the God of my salvation, but social media is calling. You're the God of my salvation. I mean, kind of, I'm, I'm a pretty good person, actually. You're the God of my salvation, but a new car would be real, real nice. David says, for you, I wait all the day long. But he knows his cry for salvation is a cry for mercy. He knows he needs forgiveness. Look at verses six and seven. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. He's calling to God's mind his own character. Remember your mercy. Remember your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. 
Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. It's for God's name, for God's reputation that God, that David wants forgiveness. He wants mercy and he is relying fully on God's character and ability. See, that's what worship is. It's a response to God's character and ability. It's a response where we set our our gaze on God because of who he is and what he does. So David says, in your goodness, remember your mercy. He relies on God and then he rests in God. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. See, if we understand who God is and who we are, we bow before him. We bow before him. We humble ourselves before him. Uh, there's an interview with Bono, lead singer of, of U2, uh, several years ago. And Bono, if you know, he wears these red sunglasses and he wears them all the time. And someone asked him, do you ever take your sunglasses off? And Bono said, well, I did one time. They said, when? He said, it was when I visited the Pope. He said, I thought in that moment, there was really no room for pride. I thought, what an interesting take. Bono took his glasses off when he visited the Pope. But see, in God's presence, for us, not in a, a Pope's presence, but in God's presence, there's no room for pride. He instructs sinners, those who know they're sinners, in the way they should go. He leads the humble in his way. And then he says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. All the paths of the Lord. Well, when Laura spoke on that video, she shared we had walked through a really dark season. It was a season where we were struggling to trust God. And so in a period of about five or six months, we had our, our second of two failed adoptions. And we didn't know what the Lord was doing. Um, we had our second of two failed adoptions. Then we ended up adopting a baby who didn't like to sleep at all. And we weren't sure that he really liked us. And then March 3rd of that year, um, uh, an aunt who had been a mother figure in my life, who I loved just like I love my mom, got cancer March 3rd, died April 1st, and we were just devastated. And sometimes we were crying out to the Lord not knowing, sometimes we were crying out to the Lord in anger, sometimes we were crying out to the Lord in just utter unbelief. We couldn't imagine what was going on. And what we found is that even then, and maybe especially then, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. We didn't know then that if things had worked out how we wanted, there's laughter in our home today that wouldn't be there. There's joy in our home today that wouldn't be there. David Mathis says, there are things you cannot know without suffering. And God has special tutorials and tribulation for his people. Do not begrudge the seminars of suffering. 
Don't say that lightly. Some of you are suffering. You're walking through hard, deep, difficult moments today. Do not begrudge the seminars of suffering. His aim is to make you like Jesus, a sympathetic shepherd, whether that's a shepherd in the church, a shepherd to a small group, a shepherd to your family, a shepherd at work. It's not light, it's scary. He says, Paul prayed that he would share in Christ's sufferings in Philippians 3.10. He prayed that he would share in Christ's sufferings and God answered his prayer. Jesus, when he was crucified, all of his disciples abandoned him. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 that at his last trial, everyone deserted him. The Romans took him out. It wasn't a game and yet God kept him in Christ. And he will keep us in Christ because all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And we are in Christ, the one who kept his covenant and his testimonies, who was tempted as you and I are in every way, yet was without sin. He is a faithful and sympathetic high priest. He kept the covenant and in him, in him, For us, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness, and we can trust it's true because God never changes. Theologians call that God's immutability. He never changes. There are people who say, Chase, I really don't like theology. Well, I gotta tell you, I really, really do. Because this reality that God never changes means this, that he's not gonna go, Oh no, I said that chase, but you blew it again. I'm done with you. People ask me why I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. And what I usually tell them is just verse after verse after verse after not being snatched out of the Father's hand. They're all true, but what I tell them is is because if you could, I would have. I know my own heart. I know my own rebellion. I know my own wickedness. And what I've found is that from Jesus, I've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And there's this love that will not let us go. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All the paths. Here has, here's a way he says this to Israel in Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by my name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, all the paths, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you, all the paths. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In Egypt, all the paths, I'll give them as your ransom. He says, because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in exchange for you. Fear not, I am with you and I will gather your offspring. He says, bring my sons and daughters from afar, from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. He goes on to say, you're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen that you may believe and understand that I'm he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be another after me. I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no savior. This is the only place where all the paths are love and faithfulness. I declared and I saved and proclaimed 
When there was no strange God among you, you're my witnesses. I am God. I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and it can't turn back. I'm not going to change. All the paths for us in Christ are steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is amazing because we're going to walk through some hard paths and life. You walk long enough. You might have kids who struggle. You might have disease that you weren't expecting. You might have pain from your parents and God will not forsake you in any of those paths. There's steadfast love and faithfulness from the God who made the world. So David says in verse 11, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. For your namesake, see God's faithful God's faithful because he loves us and he's faithful because he will honor his own name. One of the most beautiful and powerful and hard to wrap our minds around ideas is that our salvation was not our idea and it isn't about our reputation. It's about God's glory, which simultaneously just fills us with joy when we trust in him. So David said, who's the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. He will be kept and his offspring shall inherit the land. And then he makes this just amazing statement about confidence we can have in God. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Now, this is friendship with the God who made the world and everything in it. And it just blows my mind. When you think about the creator who calls us friend, I just wanna share with you one example of God's creation. Now, I hope you guys think about this tonight and I'll sleep really, really well, okay? This looks like a snake that's cut in half, but it's not. It's a caterpillar. This caterpillar lives in Guatemala, Colombia, a couple of surrounding nations, and all of a sudden I realize there's an area in Central and South America I don't need to go, right? But this caterpillar, this is actually the underside of it. And on the underside of this caterpillar, when prey comes, this is its defense mechanism that screams, somebody amazing made me. That's a good defense mechanism, right? Oh, look, kids, it's a caterpillar, right? If you just Google wildlife mimicry, there's just example of example of example of how God made amazing things. And the God who created this and everything else says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And kind of the, the psalm has been leading toward this in verse two. It's, oh God, I trust. In verse four, make me know your paths, teach me your paths. In verses eight and nine, good and upright is the Lord, he instructs sinners. And then this amazing statement, God who made the heavens will call us his friend. If we walk in the fear of the Lord. Now it's this, strange paradox of friendship and fear. But it's because we understand who we are and we understand what we deserve and we understand who he is and how gracious he has been. He makes known to them his covenant. David, trust in the Lord. 
You kind of think about who we trust in and the things that we trust in. There's this example from Isaiah and then some examples from culture about the different things people trust in. In Isaiah 47, God is speaking to Babylon about their gods. He says, kind of, I want you to think about what you trust in, what you hope in for your salvation. He says, stand fast in your your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. But you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, those who gaze at the stars, who at new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble and fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. See, we trust in all kinds of things that can't save us. Maybe it's an influencer who can tell us how to make just a little more money. Maybe it's the the latest sage of the day. Maybe it's our own scheming that we'll figure out the best way to live a satisfied life. There are figurative sorceries and in every generation there are literal ones. You can choose not to walk in God's ways. But what what I would say to you is that you can burn your sage and you can get your crystals and you can try to manifest your destiny, but all of this will come to ruin. But there's a God who all of his paths are steadfast love for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so David makes a request of this God because he is afraid, he has enemies, he wants deliverance, and so He begins to pray for these deliverance from these different enemies that he has. Warren Wiersbe kind of lists six that he he prays against. He says in verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. There's this fear of danger. People are coming against him. There's this enemy of danger and he trusts in God to deliver him, to pluck his feet out of the net. He turned to me and be gracious to me, he says, for I'm lonely and afflicted. There's this enemy of loneliness. And often when we're in a dark moment, we go, I'm the only one. There's no one with me, but God is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. All his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. There's an enemy of a broken heart, verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. There are regrets about his own sin. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. There's fear. Guard my soul and deliver me, he says. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Well, how does he go about making these requests? Well, he does it by focusing on the Lord. In verse 15, he says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. In verse 16, 17, and 18, he asks for protection. Be gracious to me. Bring me out of my distress. Forgive my sins. In verses 19 and 20, guard my soul. And he says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I'll wait for you. God has taught him his ways. He's teaching him his ways. Let me walk in your ways. Isn't that what we do? By the grace of God, we wait on him and we trust in him. To wait upon the Lord is to walk with Jesus in the power of the Spirit for the glory of the Father. We cry out to him and then we let him speak to us because all his paths are steadfast love 
So we wait on him all the day long. Isaiah describes why, why he waits on God when he prays in Isaiah 64. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble in your presence. See, they, they'd heard of the story of this fire coming down on the mountain, everything shaking. Would you rend the heavens and come down? And God would rend the heavens, but this time he wouldn't come down with fire on a mountain. He would come down with a baby in a stable who would live and die and rise from the dead. Isaiah says, when you did awesome things, we did not expect. You came down and the mountains quaked at your presence for Of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. David says, I wait for you all the day long because he's the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah goes on to say, we become like one who's unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls on your name, who rouses you, for you've hidden your face from us. You've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But Lord, you're like our Father. We are the clay and you're the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. And he didn't remember iniquity forever. He sent Jesus, and now he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sins no more so that whether we are climbing mountains or scaling valleys, whether we're in highlands or we're in heartache, we can know that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And that's true because of the path Jesus took to the cross, through the grave, risen from the dead, now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Let's give him praise this morning. God, we thank you and we say to you, we lift up our soul and in you, we place our trust. We wait for you all day long because you are the God of our salvation. We thank you, God, that in Christ, you do not remember our sins and all your paths our steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep your covenant and walk in your testimonies. So God, help us to be a people who walk in your ways, who live surrendered as a community on mission together, making disciples for the glory of God so that more might know of your steadfast love and faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.